Let's pray together. Father, we do praise you. How great thou art. Father, we pray now that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, wills to act upon what you have us learn this morning. I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I have a question that I think I know the answer to. But do you ever find yourself thinking about heaven? Just thinking about heaven, like, or, or even longing for heaven. You know, like when there will be no more sin, when there will be no more death, when there will be no more heartache, where peace will rule and reign, where chaos and confusion will be no more, where love will always be genuine where evil will be completely absent. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, it means God's Spirit has revealed to you the truth about His Son, Jesus Christ, and that you have repented and placed your trust in Jesus. And as a Christian, you've been reconciled back to God. Your sins have been forgiven, and now you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So the question that I have now is, then why doesn't God just take believers to heaven now? If we've been reconciled to God, why not now? Why not go now? Why are we still on this earth? And that is a great question. And one that I lay out before you this morning, because as we continue our study through John's Gospel, we find ourselves in the middle of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And it's here this morning, in this prayer, that we'll find our answer to this question. Why are we still here even though we've been reconciled to God? We're in part two of a three-part sermon titled, The Real Lord's Prayer. As I mentioned last week in part one, we often refer to the Lord's Prayer as something that's not actually the Lord's Prayer. The disciples had asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them an example of how to pray. But we know that's not a prayer he could have prayed because he said, forgive us our debts. And we know Christ is without sin. He would never have to pray such a way. However, we, we are not free from sin. And we are definitely in need of forgiveness. So last week we looked at the first five verses in part one where Jesus was praying for God's glory. This morning we look at part two in verses six through 19 when he's praying for his disciples individually. And Lord willing, next week we look at part three where he's praying for his church as a whole in verses 20 through 26. Now it's been a joy for me to be able to spend week after week in these verses because as I look and I study our Lord's Prayer in John 17, the more and more in awe I've become of the words of Christ. Now Martin Luther referred to John 17 as the Holy of Holies. But we're hearing the heart of our Lord crying out to his Father. And to put it back in context, if you haven't been with us, this is hours away from Jesus' betrayal and his subsequent crucifixion. That he's with his 11 disciples. Judas is already gone on his way to betray Christ. And Jesus has just taught them from chapters 14 through 16 in John. And now he prays before them. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, 
John chapter 17 is where we're at this morning. And as I did last week, and I plan to do each week, I'm going to read this whole prayer of Jesus. John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and I have come to know in truth that I came from you, and that they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm going to you, or now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made, them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. May God bless this reading of his word. Jesus spends the opening part of this prayer fixed on God's glory. We covered that last week. 
looking at the glory of God, but he transitions in this prayer. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is in verse 6, he begins a transition. Look again, we'll read them again, verses 6 through 8, in this transition, in this prayer. He prays, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. Basically, here in this transi transition, Jesus is summarizing his earthly ministry all the way up to the crucifixion. Everything he has done before. That he was sent from the Father as a messenger to deliver a message to God's chosen people. And what was that message? That message was that there is one way to heaven. One way. There's one way to be forgiven. There's one way to be reconciled to God. There is one door. There is one path. There is one Savior. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus transitions from talking about the summary of his ministry, and we see that he intercedes for his people. Look at verse 9 with me. This is amazing. Look what Jesus prays in verse 9. He says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I want you to think about this. Our Lord is interceding in prayer for his people. You know, we often, when we talk about what has Jesus done, we say he died for us. But he also lives for us. You know, Scripture says over and over again that not only did he die, but that he lives to make intercession for us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, we read, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Listen, who indeed is interceding for us. That's current. That our Jesus is interceding for us. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we read, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He not only died, he raised and now continues to make intercession for us. And again in Hebrews a couple chapters later, verse or chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And our Lord loves those who were given to him as a love gift from the Father, as you go home and you read through chapter 17 again, you're going to pick up on how many times you see the word give or given. I counted 17 times in that prayer. The things the Father has given him. And Jesus now loves this love gift the Father has given, and that is believers. Here, specifically the disciples that are before him as he prays. All those that before the foundation of the world that the Father elected for salvation in Christ. He was not on a blind mission. He was on a mission to come to those who God had selected. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Church, I can't even unpack that or even help you with that. 
It's mind-boggling. It's hard to even reconcile. But he is God. And he has chosen, he has elected in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, we read about God, that he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. Thank God for that. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus, when? Before the ages began. Again, just it's beyond our ability to grasp, but this is our God. He intercedes. And we see in, our, in this prayer, if you just jump with me down to verse 15, Jesus asked the Father to keep the disciples from the evil one. Now remember, Jesus is on the brink of his betrayal. And we know all that's going to unfold after that, and we'll get to it, Lord willing, in the Gospel of John. But one of the things we'll see is Peter's denial of Christ. And interestingly enough, Luke records a wonderful interaction between Jesus and Peter before Peter actually denied Christ. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, starting at verse 31, he turns to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Remember he prayed to the Father? Keep him from the evil one. He turns to Peter. He says, Peter, Satan's demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Listen to what Jesus says. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, look at the confidence he has. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow this day or the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three or three times that you know me. Three times. It wasn't just once. It wasn't just twice. Three times. He prayed. And Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Which brings us to the next point in Jesus' prayer. That the believer's salvation is secure. The believer's salvation is secure. We see where Jesus prays in verses 10 through 13. Follow with me, starting at verse 10. He says, all mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, protected them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled, speaking of Judas. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak to the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Church, fellow believer, brother or sister in Christ, know this, that salvation is secure in Christ. It's secure in Christ. He has kept you. He has held you fast. He has prayed for you that your faith would not fail. The Spirit has sealed you. Your salvation is secure. And it's not because of your works, but it's because of Christ's finished work. It is finished. 
You know, we spend a whole lot of time looking at our failures. And it's not bad to look at failure to repent from them, to turn and ask forgiveness. That's what we're supposed to do. But a lot of time we go around kicking our pebble around and just looking at our failures all the time. And the reality, church, is we need to look at Christ more. Instead of looking at ourselves, we need to look at Christ's perfections instead of our imperfections. That it is finished. That we look at Christ. We hope in Christ. We trust in Christ. We submit to Christ. We worship Christ. We obey Christ. This is how we grow in Christ. It's looking at Him. It's trusting in Him. It's following Him. We need to remember what the Scripture says about our own salvation. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says that He has saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, that God has brought to us salvation. That God has taken us out of darkness and made us light because of the work of His Son, Jesus. It's about Christ's perfections. And if we hold on to this, then we understand that our salvation is secure. That's where joy comes from. It's knowing that none of this other stuff is going to get in the way of that. Not even my own shortcomings, my own failures, my own imperfections. But it's what Christ has done on the cross. Jesus said in verse 13, he's speaking these things in the world that they may have, he says, my joy fulfilled in them. Joy. I love the way that R. Kent Hughes defines joy. He says, joy is the occupation, character, and realization of heaven. It is not dependent on circumstances, but on the love of a sovereign God. Joy. Say, well, if our salvation is secure, does that mean we get to go on and be little immature Christians and continue to do the same faulty things we did before? No, his desire is that we actually grow in holiness. That we become more and more like Christ. And as Jesus builds this prayer, that's where he's heading. It's about our holiness that we don't stay immature in Christ, but that we grow in the likeness of Jesus. Verse 14, say it with me, look at your Bibles in verse 14. Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He continues, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Look at verse 17 sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So how do we grow in holiness? What is Jesus praying here? That the way to grow in holiness is through being doers of God's word. It's being a doer of his word that is only possible, church, through the power of his spirit. It's not because we click our heels together and try harder. It's because God's spirit desires that to apply his word to our life that we can grow in obedience and in holiness before our God. James tells us we need to be doers, not hearers only. That all we do is all we hear, but we're not doers. He says you're deceiving yourself. This is why we've begun our study on Wednesday nights, looking at godly disciplines. Because we need to be a people who are disciplined. 
just as an athlete would discipline themselves so they get better trained and, and better at their sports, so we would be disciplined to grow in holiness, to worship our God. So there's a relationship between God's Word and His Spirit working. The relationship is kind of like this. I, I'll put it like this. The Word is the scalpel, but God's Spirit is the surgeon. The Word is the tool, but God's Spirit is the craftsman. The Word is the instrument, but God's Spirit is the skilled musician. It's applied to our life. It is the Word being empowered in our lives through God's Spirit. That's what makes it effectual in our lives. We don't just read it like a book and go, oh, it's just words on a page. For those who have the Spirit of God, this is living and breathing and active. And God uses His Spirit to impart that to us, that we can now respond to something that before when we were in darkness, this is just words on a page. It meant absolutely nothing. But now alive in the Spirit, this comes alive. And God applies it to our life. We know 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. How much of Scripture? All Scripture. Even the things we don't like that are in there. It's all inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good the Word of God. And God's Spirit empowering that in our lives. I don't know how much travel you've done, but if you've ever been in a hotel anywhere around the world, most of them you open up the, the side drawer next to your bed, and there's a Bible inside. It's a Gideon's Bible. Gideon International. And inside those Bibles, they have an introductory page. And it tells you about the Bible. And I want to read to you what it says. Every Gideon Bible says this. It says, The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, too, heaven is opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, Prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in this life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. How is that for a summary of God's word? Every Gideon's Bible opens up that way to introduce anybody to the scriptures. Here's what you're holding in your hand. Jesus prays that it's through these scriptures that we will become holy, that we will be sanctified, set apart for him. So it is our duty, fellow Christian, 
to not only read, but to study, to meditate upon God's word. That man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's our daily nourishment. It's what God uses to sanctify us. If we're to grow as a Christian, we must consume God's word and pray that his spirit helps us to live it out. Jesus prayed here in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctified means to be set apart. To be set apart for a sacred purpose. So Jesus says, no, I'm not asking, Father, that you take them out of the world. Why? Because you have a sacred purpose for believers to do now. This is the answer to our question that we had before. That believers are now on mission. They have been sent into the world. Much like Jesus was sent, they are sent. You, fellow believers, are sent. You see this in verses 18 and 19. John chapter 7, Jesus prays. He says in verse 18, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. You know, in this world, we can never fully escape the effects of sin. But as we are progressively conformed to the image of Christ, the awareness of sin's devastation, both in our lives and other people's lives, it increasingly intensifies. As we're being conformed into Christ, we see the effect of sin. And then we begin to ponder, then why would our good and gracious God Keep us in this world when the prospect of heaven is so much better. That's where we started this morning with that question. And the answer is this. God has placed us here to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. That we would be fishers of men. That we would go out and share the good news. That we are here for the sake of the gospel. To share with our lost and dying world. Paul the Apostle was, was bound up by this. He knows that it would be better to go to heaven to be with the Lord, but knew that he was useful here. He wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary, he writes to Church in Philippi, on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Anybody got that battle? Oh, it would be so much better just to go and to be with Christ, to dwell in heaven. And yet, we're here. Because Christ has sent us on mission. You know, Jesus says here, he says, he gave himself on the cross. He was consecrated. That he would ensure that our mission would be successful. We're not on a blind mission either. Christ says, for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. He willfully gave himself up on the cross. And on that cross, he said, it is 
victory. It's done. It's already occurred. And this means our salvation is secure, but it also means our mission is secure. And our mission, which is like Christ, is to seek and save the lost. And it will be accomplished successfully. Church, we just need to open our mouths. We just need to open our mouths. To open our mouths to share the good news of our God, our good and glorious God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That we would open and share with the world about this one who loves us with an everlasting love. The one who has secured our salvation and holds us fast. The one who lives to make intercession for us. This one who has sent us to be on mission. To share his gospel with our lost and dying world. So that they too can glorify him and enjoy him forever. Jesus in this prayer is praying for his disciples. That they would be on mission. That they would grow in a holiness. That as they go to a lost world, that it wouldn't just be theological, but it would be missional. That they would be on mission. Listen, we can't be on mission without being theological. We have to know the truth. We have to consume God's word. We need to meditate upon it. And then we simply open our mouths and we share with others. Each one of us, there's a quote inside your, your uh, bulletin this morning. John MacArthur put it real simply. He said, if you know how to be saved, you know how to tell somebody else how. If you're saved here this morning, you know how. And Jesus has on mission now to go, to experience his joy, and to seek and save that which is lost. Church, let's pray together. Father, it is absolutely amazing to go week after week and look at this amazing prayer of our Lord. To see the way he was firstly consumed with your glory and then looking towards the disciples. That salvation would be secure because he keeps it. And he's asked you, Father, to also keep it. That your Holy Spirit has sealed the believer. That, Father, we can look to Christ and look to Christ more and look at his perfections and know that it is finished, the price is paid in full. That we can rejoice, that we can have joy. Joy unlike anything this world can give us. And, Father, knowing that the longing that we have to be in heaven, and yet you have us here on this earth, and we see Jesus praying in this prayer. Why? Because we are now sent ones. That we have the message, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same gospel that has saved us, the same gospel you want us to share with others. Father, we pray that your spirit would help us to shine, to glorify you. We pray many lost would come to a saving knowledge of you through the sharing of your gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.